I love the prayerfulness of that hymn, Speak, O Lord. And that is my prayer this morning, that through our preaching, that, that we would treasure Christ more and our minds would be renewed and, and God would be glorified. We're finishing up our, our study of Jonah this morning, and I'll give you a moment to turn to uh, Jonah chapter 4. And we have joked throughout, joked truthfully, that in many ways Jonah is an example of what not to do. And we see Jonah seemingly making mistake after, after mistake. And, and we're going to see a couple more mistakes this morning that, that Jonah is going to make. So we'll go ahead and uh, read the text here. Jonah 4. And the writer writes, But it greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order, order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for death is better to me than life. The Lord said, Do you have good reason to be angry? Then Jonah went out from the city and sat east of it. There he made a shelter for himself and sat under it in the shade until he could see what would happen in the city. So the Lord God appointed a plant, and it grew up over Jonah to be a shade over his head to deliver him from his discomfort. And Jonah was extremely happy about the plant. But God appointed a worm when dawn came the next day, and it attacked the plant, and it withered. When the sun came up, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun began. So the sun beat down on Jonah's head, so that he became faint and begged with all his soul to die, saying, "Death is better to me than life." Then God said to Jonah, "Do you have good reason to be angry about the plant?" And he said, "I have good reason to be angry, even to death." Then the Lord said. You had compassion on the plant for which you did not work and which you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight and perished overnight. Should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between the right and left hand as well as many animals? So I've titled this morning's sermon, God's Grace Misapplied. And, and, and we see a couple instances here in which Jonah misapplies the grace of God in his life. And the idea that I want you to, to leave here with this morning is to don't, don't reserve God's grace and compassion for yourself, for people like you, or for things that don't really matter. Don't reserve God's grace and compassion for yourself, for people like you, or for things that don't really matter. Last week we had a pretty important Big sporting event, the Super Bowl. Ever watched the Super Bowl last week? After they came here for the, the Super Bowl, of course, you got to go home and watch it. Yeah, 112 million people watched the Super Bowl last week. Not as many as the greatest sporting event in the world, the World Cup, which hosted 1 billion people for the, the final event, but that's okay. The NFL may catch up one day. But in the Super Bowl, Peyton Manning won his second Super Bowl. And we, 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 uh, uh Peyton Manning has, um, kind of been embraced as, as a Christian. Um, he professes to be a Christian. He says at the age of 13 that he uh, responded to an altar call and went down and, and placed his faith in Christ. 
And I've heard that uh, when uh, in the off season and when, when Peyton Manning is able to attend church, he faithfully serves in his church. He he's an usher or he attends Bible study throughout the week. But after the, the Super Bowl, Peyton Manning was asked a question about what what his future holds. What if he's gonna, is he going to retire? Is he going to come back and play another year? And he responded with this. He said, I want to go kiss my wife and my kids. I want to hug my family. I'm going to drink a lot of Budweiser tonight, Tracy. I promise you that. I'm going to take care of those things first and definitely going to say a little prayer and thank the man upstairs for this great opportunity. As I sat there and I heard Peyton Manning say that, I say, wait a minute. Isn't, isn't Peyton Manning supposed to be a Christian? How can, he, how can he act like that? How can he say those things? There's a tendency, I think, that that I have and maybe that other people have is that, you know, when you hear people say this, I, I, I immediately say, that's not how a Christian is supposed to act. And then, and then I, I say that, I, I believe to think that maybe he isn't a Christian at all. Now, don't get me wrong. I think that drunkenness is, is definitely a sin. And hopefully that there is someone close alongside Peyton that can come and say that this was wrong. But just because he, he sins does not discount his Christianity and forfeit his faith. Now, I have to think of another time in high school. I was watching this interview with James Dobson and, and Ted Bundy. And uh, if you don't know who Ted Bundy is, he's, a, he's an infamous serial killer. He admitted to, to killing 30 women, some as young as, as 12 or 13 years of age. And his lawyer would later come out and say that he killed over 100 people. But as I sat there watching that interview, I, I thought, God, how could, how could you save this man? Why, why would you save this man? There was this, this, this question of why God would, would save someone. So my first point this morning is don't be angry with God's grace to others or desire, desire grace withheld from them. Now, don't be angry with God's grace to others or desire grace withheld from them. Over the past three weeks, and it's, it's a major, major theme of Jonah, is God's grace. We see God's grace repeatedly throughout the book of Jonah. We see it, we see it with the sailors, that God spared them from shipwreck. But then also that he saves them, and they begin to worship, worship him as the true God. We see it in Nineveh. We see that these wicked people, God, as, as, as Jake preached last week, his, the, the, the mercy that, for, unre, for the, the mercy for repentant sinners, God saved the, the, the wicked Ninevites. And we see it with Jonah. Jonah flees God. And God, and he is thrown overboard. And then God gives him a fish that swallows him. And he saves him. And he's, he's spit back up on a shore so that he could go do that task that he was originally given. I also think about, in the first sermon, Andy talked about 2 Kings 14, in which God used a wicked king, Jeroboam, who was wicked and evil, to save, save the Israelites, who were in a state of spiritual apathy, who, who were also had their, had their own wickedness as well. But in verse 1, we see that Jonah is displeased. It says, but it greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. Now, this anger that Jonah has—it's not like—it's not like me when my kids spill their milk and they're angry, or, or when my fa- my favorite sports team loses and I become angry. This is a severe anger that 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 Jonah has. He is irate. He is he is livid. 
And in fact, the Hebrew expression here used is the possible strongest expression that you can use to, to, to display, to communicate the anger. You know, and, and maybe Jonah's anger wasn't completely unjustified. The Assyrians worshipped the plurality of gods, one of them being the vicious god Asher. They were known for their brutality and cruelty. They would impale their enemies on stakes in front of the town and hang their heads from trees. They tortured captives, including women and children, hacking off their noses, their ears, fingers, gouging out their eyes, and tearing off their lips and hands. And they would cover the town walls using the skins of their captives. Rebellious people were massacred by the hundreds, and skulls would be piled up outside the roadside to serve as a warning for others. You see, Jonah wanted, wanted justice for these people, for the, the wickedness that he had, had witnessed. And as, as Andy and I were, were, were meeting, he, he mentioned something, that the anger reveals the idol of the hearts. We get mad because things we don't get what we want. And that's what Jonah is doing here. He wants that justice so strongly. And when it doesn't happen, it causes him to be angry. Does Jonah's anger remind you of any like New Testament characters at all? As I was thinking about the sermon, I thought about the elder brother and the parable of the, of the prodigal son. Um, if you weren't here for Andy's sermon on Luke 15, or, or maybe you have forgotten it, and the, pro, the parable of the prodigal son... Um, this father had two sons, and one of them came to him and said that he wanted his inheritance so that he could go to a faraway land. He said he wished his father was as good as dead. And the father gave him his son that, that inheritance, and he went off to a far land, and he squandered that, that money on unrighteous living. And one day he woke up, and he realized what he, what he was doing, and he returned to his, to his father. And when his, he got home, his father was, was glad. He... He gave him a fine coat. He threw a feast for him. He, he slaughtered the fatted calf because his son had realized what, what he was doing and came back to him and returned. But the, the elder brother wasn't so, wasn't so joyous. And while that feast was going on, he sat outside the feast and he was, he was angry. He was upset that his father would, would embrace his son so quickly. <clears throat> but God's grace is for all people. And we see that Jonah is actually kind of like a representative of the nation of Israel as well. Uh, you know, the nation of Israel was supposed to, to, to reach out to the nations to be a light among, amongst the darkness that, of the nations that surrounded them. But Israel failed and Jonah did as well. He did not want that God's salvation to go to any other people but the Israelites. Now you and I, we may not, not be angry, uh, when we hear about someone who is saved, we may not outright say that, but I think that there are more subtle ways that this can kind of creep into our lives. And I feel like maybe I need this sermon more than anybody. Maybe you don't need it as much as I do. But the tendency for us is to, we want grace for ourselves. You know, we often say preach the gospel to ourselves, and I think that's very helpful. For me, it has helped me... I mean, you know, get over that guilt of sin when I can remind myself of the gospel and the forgiveness that I have. But as I have often told other people that I am quick to embrace the gospel for myself, that I, I, I embrace God's forgiveness. But when I see another person's sin, that I am not so gracious to them. 
I am judgmental. I condemn them. And then we see that with Jonah. Jonah was okay. He was great, and he was happy at the, at the evidence of, is of God's grace in his life and, and the Israelites. But when it came to the salvation of the Ninevites, it made him angry. He wasn't as, was, wasn't as happy. And it was as that, that, par- that parable that Andy read earlier this morning, the, the parable of the unforgiven servant who had this great debt, and the king forgave him of that debt. And he was glad that he was, but he did not extend that grace that was shown to him to others. He had that, that person who owed him a much smaller debt thrown into prison. But maybe there are some, some more obvious ways that this kind of creeps up. We, we all, I think, have certain prejudices against people. There may be racism. It may be somebody who has a different theological viewpoint than you a different political viewpoint, that we are, we are quick to condemn those people and not offer them the grace that we have been given. Sometimes it's not taking those opportunities to share the gospel. That we, we the gospel that saved us, we are not quick to, to share that with others. As we continue on in verse 2, we see the real reason that, that Jonah fled originally. He says, he prayed to the Lord, please, Lord, was this not what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. Now, that verse should kind of give us a little bit of a uh, recollection a few weeks ago that we were had those little note cards that Andy passed out. And then that verse is very similar to Exodus 34, 6 and 7, which talks about God being compassionate and gracious and slow to anger. And this is the reason that, that Jonah didn't want to go to... He knew that if he went to, to Nineveh and he preached that message, that there was a chance that God could be gracious to these people and that he would save them and not destroy them. And here again we see in verse 3 that, that the result of this is that Jonah wants to die again, similar to, to being one to be thrown off the boat. Jonah's ready to die because of God's graciousness being shown to these Ninevites. And this is a great contrast for him, though, from when he was thrown off the boat and he was delivered. When Jonah was was delivered by the fish, he cried out to God for deliverance. And he said, in 2 verse 9, But I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving, and that which I have vowed I will pay. Salvation is from the Lord. There's a tendency that, that we cause grace, we let grace kind of puff us up. We let grace kind of harden our hearts, that it doesn't cause us to be, to be gracious to other people. But that's not what grace should do. Grace should, should soften our hearts. It should cause us to, to show compassion and love others with even, with even greater love. As we continue on, we come to our second point. And that is, don't value things that don't matter. Value eternal things. Don't value things that don't matter. Value eternal things. And as we see in verse 5, we see that Jonah went out from the city. And he went east of it. And he made a shelter for himself and sat under it in the shade until he could see what would happen in the city. 
evidently Jonah was still hopeful that the city would, would be destroyed. Maybe he thought that they, their repentance was, was not genuine. He was going to go out, outside the city and wait those 40 days and see if God would, would destroy the city. But here we see that God decides to be gracious to Jonah once again. And, in, and through this graciousness, he's going to actually teach him a, a lesson. God appoints this plant to grow up over top of, of, of Jonah. And Jonah made a, a shelter there for himself while he was waiting outside the city for those 40 days. But evidently that, that, sh- that shelter that he built wasn't quite good enough. So God decides him to give him um, this plant to help shade him. This plant could have been a, a, a gourd or a castor oil plant that, had, that are common in the area. They had large, broad leaves that would have shaded him under the intense heat of the sun. And I find that this is encouraging as well, that even in Jonah's disobedience and, and in his anger, God continues to show grace to Jonah. We think of sometimes as God as this vindictive character that is just waiting to, to judge us and, and cause harm to us. But go back to verse 2. God is compassionate. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in loving kindness. And we see that with Jonah, that God would, would give him this, this relief in the midst of his discomfort. And Jonah is very happy about the plant. Similarly, he was very happy to be delivered from his death and be swallowed by the fish. And there's a stark contrast here by his, how glad he was here for this plant and how angry he was in verse 1 at the salvation of the Ninevites. Again, we see that he is happy. He is content. He is joyful at his, God's grace for him, but does not want it for others. But this plant... That grew quickly, also disappeared quickly. God appoints a worm to attack the plant. A plant came and ate the stem. And we see that here God uses nature again. God appoints a storm. God appoints a fish. God appoints a worm. God appoints a wind that we're going to see here in a minute. God is sovereign over all things from the, the big storms to the, to the worm. But God appoints this east wind. And in the area, these are known as a Sirocco. And it was a dry, hot wind that would originated over the Arabian and Saharan desert. And the wind sometimes would reach 60 miles an hour. And the hot air would become so full of positive ions that it caused uh, exhaustion, depression, feelings of unreality, and, and sometimes bizarre behavior. So so you can imagine like how, how intense that, that – and that, that Jonah – wishes to die because of the discomfort that he has experienced from this suppressive heat and wind. And God asked Jonah if he has good reason to be upset about the plant. I think, again, I'm encouraged here that, that God, by the questions that he asks, in verse 4, he asked, the Lord said, do you have good reason to be angry? And then here again he asked, do you have good reason to be angry about the plant? It wasn't that God just came down and and, and scolded Jonah and chastised him, but he was compassionate in, in the ways that he asked, he asked the questions. Do you have good reason to be angry? Unlike verse 4, Jonah responds that this time he does have good reason to be upset about the plant. And God doesn't, requ- God doesn't grant his request to die. God spares him. 
And God uses an, arm, an argument here from the lesser to the greater that we're going to see. In verse 10, it says, The Lord said, You had compassion on the plant for which you did not work, and which you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight and perished overnight. So here's, the, here's that lesser part of the argument. This plant that you didn't cause to grow, that, that came up overnight and then perished overnight, and then he gets here to the greater part of the argument. Should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between their right hand as well, the right hand and left hand, as well as many animals? So here we see that this hypocrisy of Jonah, that Jonah has such great concern for this plant, this plant that Jonah, or that Jonah did nothing to do, to, to, to cultivate. He did nothing to cause it to grow. And he was in no way, way worthy of receiving that, that plant. Jonah didn't deserve this at all. Yet Jonah didn't have a compassion for 120,000 people. And that, that plant, he, he had greater concern for that. And that's, that's bizarre to think about, that, that, that plant that, that withers away is temporary. He, he had more compassion on that than the people. But God did have compassion on the people that he cultivated, that he created. And we here we are reminded that, that mankind is the pinnacle of God's creation, that it is the greatest thing. God created the plant and he said it was good. But he created man on the sixth day and said it was very good. It was, it was the, the pinnacle of his creation. I want to compare um, God's concerns versus Jonah's concerns here quickly. In this text we see... That God cared for the people of Nineveh, but Jonah cared for a plant. God was concerned for the welfare of others, and Jonah was concerned for himself. God created all that was in Nineveh. Jonah did nothing for the plant. God tended Nineveh. The plant was most, most temporal. The people of Nineveh are of, are of eternal significance. God's concern was and is for human life. Jonah's concern was for personal comfort and selfish personal interest. God's concern for Nineveh is proper and it displays his love. Jonah's concern for a plant rather than people is improper. It displays selfishness and improper perspective on life. I think we would, all, we would also do well to look at Christ. And in many ways, we can look at Jonah and say that this is who Jonah is, but this is not who, who Christ is. Jesus is the opposite of Jonah. As we come into this Easter season, we, we reflect on the fact that, that Christ died for our sins and he, he, he bore the wrath for us to save a people. He set aside his power and his desires in order to save people. Jonah wanted to die in order that people of Nineveh wouldn't be saved. And Jesus takes on the evil of Nineveh. He takes on their sin, just like he does for you and I. There, the, the people of Nineveh were not so wicked that God could not save them. And if you don't know Christ this morning, and you sit there thinking, there's no way Christ can love me, there's no way that God can love me, there's no way he can save me, he can. Christ bore that wrath on the cross in order for you to be forgived, forgiven.
we should also pause to consider what do we value? And do we value eternal things? We see here Jonah didn't. He valued that plant that would, would one, one day die rather than the eternal destiny of the people of Nineveh. Matthew six nineteen through 21 talks about this. And it says, Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store for yourselves up treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Will we be like Jonah and be more concerned about a, a plant or something else that is, that is temporary and doesn't last long? Or will we share the compassion of God and love people that, unlike the plant, will, be, will exist in eternity in either heaven or hell? We can be like Jonah and we can discredit God's salvation or be upset or question why God would save a people. But it reminds me of the three stories in Luke 15, one of which we already looked at in the prodigal son. But there's also the stories of the the lost coin and the lost sheep, in which when they are found, there is great joy and rejoicing for those that which was lost to be found. Salvation should fill us with joy and excitement and cause us to rejoice, as God does. Not with anger, not with questioning why, why God would ever save them. And in verse 11, we kind of see the, the, the culmination of what the whole entire book of Jonah has been leading up to. God uses a question here, and it's kind of an ironic question. It's a biting question for Jonah. He says, should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between the right hand and left hand, as well as many animals? So God says, to paraphrase, he says, if you feel compassionate about the destruction of a vine or plant that you did not create, shouldn't I be concerned more about the destruction of people and animals I did create? You know, if it wasn't enough for, for God to save the people of Nineveh, maybe Jonah would be concerned and, and glad that he would save the animals of Nineveh. Maybe that would make, maybe that would make Jonah happy. And cause him to be to rejoice. There are, there are four areas of application here. I think we can see and take from this text. The first one is God is merciful. We see that in both to both Jonah and Nineveh, as well as well as the sailors. And God's pity is not just on the weak, but on the strong and mighty as well. And it's easy for us to pity the people who are pitiable, the poor, the weak. But those who are not, the wicked, it's hard for us to have pity on those. You know, it's hard for me to have pity on Ted Bundy. It's hard for me to have pity on ISIS and radical extremists who go and, and kill women and children and Christians and other Muslims as well. It's hard for me to have and desire for those people to be saved. But let the, God, let the mercy of God transform us. And let us remember that the grace that we, that we are given is needed for other people as well. And that, let us also remember, point number two, 
that God is sovereign over all things, including salvation. He isn't sovereign over all things. Romans nine fourteen through 16 says, What shall we say then? There is no injustice with God, is there? May it never be. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. God is the author of salvation. Application number three, God has compassion for the nations. God was not just concerned about the nation of Israel, his chosen people. He wanted to save nations beyond Israel. And we see that with, with, in, with Jesus. He came to, to save all people. He came to save, he came to save the outcasts. He came to save the Gentiles. And we see in the New Testament the, the, the gospel being spread to, to the Gentiles and, and the Jews. In application number four, God is slow to anger, compassionate, and abundant in loving kindness. God is slow to anger, compassionate, and abundant in loving kindness. I hope that is that is a freeing concept that that you that you rest in that. That the grace of God would cause you to to serve him. Rather than this question of, is God out to get me? Is he going to punish me for this thing that I just did? And finally, let me, let me close with this. Salvation is not ours to experience for ourselves. Salvation is the Lord's and is from the Lord. Will we have the same compassion and concern for the nations and people that God has? Let me pray. Lord, we thank you for the reminder of your grace that is seen throughout the book of Jonah. Lord, I pray that that grace would, that you, that you have shown to Jonah and the Ninevites would cause us to, and the grace that you have shown us would cause us to, to serve you and obey you and have concern for all peoples, that we would not be quick to judge and condemn people, that we would remember that grace that you have shown to us and give that grace to them as well. And we pray that we would just value things that matter, that we would value people, that we would not embrace our gifts and love gifts more than we love you and love people. I see things in your name. Amen.